couple of you. Today's kind of a special day. We made a pretty big announcement last week, and I've been busy at work all week doing all sorts of different things. But as a result, I've got a buddy that's coming to preach this morning, to bring the word, to carry us through our Luke series, and I'm very, very excited. There's all sorts of different ways that I could introduce Darren to you. I tried to write down a couple of them this morning. He grew up in MK like I did. We actually grew up at the same Christian camp, so we all like hunted the same raccoons and, and bees and things like that. So he's an MK, went to Biola. Um, he, he was also a pastor overseas. He's planted churches. We have a lot of similarities. If we turn sideways, come on up here, Darren. No. We turn sideways. Like we look similar, um, and that, that's a compliment. Um, God created round shapes too. Um, he, he's a missional guy. He lives on mission. He, he believes in the mission of God. Um, but most importantly, in the kingdom, we talk about kingdom eating empire for breakfast, right? We're not an empire church. We're not empire people. We're kingdom people. But in the kingdom of God, and this is what Darren gets so well, really the only title that matters is that he's son. He's son of Yahweh. He's son of God, sinner saved by grace. Would you just welcome Darren this morning as he brings the word for us? Thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazingly wonderful to be here with you for a number of reasons. We have tracked with your church since birth as you were going and growing and what was happening over here. It's just really special to be here and see who we were praying for. That's just really kind of an amazing thing. It's also very strange for me to actually come to a place where I've known your pastor since he was born. That makes me feel old, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. I also have known your worship leader since she was born, so I just don't get to say that very often in very many places. So um, I don't normally feel old, but I'm starting off this morning feeling like an old guy. I'm going to do some other old guy things during my message this morning, but um, it is, uh, it's very special to be able to be with you. My wife and I are a part of a church planting organization, and so seeing a thriving planted church grow is, it's just very, very close to our hearts. And so uh, we get to do that as part of our world and we get to do team building stuff as part of our world. And then this morning I saw a lady come in with her camera and uh, several of her amazingly cool lenses. And so I got to chat with the photographer because that's something else I do. We're basically um, tri-vocational. We'll try anything to stay alive. Um, (laughs) So um, we were overseas for a number of years in France and then Morocco, and uh, we found out the, it's kind of a very true thing that it's not as sexy to support missionaries in Concord, California, as it is in France and Morocco. So we came home from being overseas, and we said, all right, Lord, what is there for us? And what happened in that process is we began to learn a lot. And part of what I want to be able to just talk with you about today is, is what how God uses us as we engage in our normal work life. And part of the gift that's happened for us as we've come back is that we have a better understanding of what that looks like. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I'm excited to, uh, to just jump into your series. And I'm also very honored to be able to be here at this amazing point in the life of Vintage Grace. Just really exciting. So can you just pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, thank you for this church, for this expression of your bride on earth, and for what they want to do and how they want to be here in El Dorado Hills. Fill this place with yourself this morning and filter me to them. 
Speak, please, today in your name. Amen. not sure how you bring your Bible to church anymore. I bring mine on my phone now most often. So I'm going to read this morning the passage that we're going to look at. And uh, Drew said you wouldn't think I was a heretic if I asked you to stand with me just out of respect for God's word this morning. Why don't we stand together and let's read this together this morning. I'll I'll read aloud. You can follow along and whatever version you brought or on whatever device you have your, uh, your Bible this morning. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 is where we're going to start. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, All the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. Thank you. There's something special about being selected to be on a team. I was, like Drew said, at the same school that he went to, Biola University, and I was... uh, effectively squandering my education my first year and a half that I was there. I was at this Christian school. I was studying to be a pastor and I was partying like mad. And where was the the connection in my mind and soul? It just hadn't landed yet. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew I wanted to serve God. And I also was experiencing for the first time in my life freedom like I'd never experienced it. I didn't know what to do with it and I didn't know how to put all those pieces together. So I was kind of a mess, honestly. I wasn't an angry rebel, but I was just having fun, a lot of fun, too much fun. (laughs) Um, Fun in some cases I can't fully remember. That's usually too much fun. Um, And one of my professors saw something in me. He decided I was somebody he wanted to invest in. And it wasn't because he saw it right then, kind of currently in the way I was living, Somehow he saw something bigger. He saw God's call in my life. And it was, it was something that I, to this day, am deeply, deeply grateful for. Because one of the things this guy was doing was he was taking these trips. And so he was taking students and taking them out into the world and taking them on these adventures where they were encountering God in exciting ways. And one of these trips was to Haiti. And the trip the year before had been this wild and crazy trip. And he knew that where I was in my life and what was going on for me, that him coming to me and saying, Darren, I'd like you to go on a missions trip with me where we're going to share Jesus with the people of Haiti. I would have said, cool, no thanks. If he came to me and said, I want you to go on a trip where you might die, where last year things exploded and mobs attacked us. And if we go back to Haiti, it's going to be this crazy thing. And I need a guy with us to protect the girls. And all these things he said to me. And I was like, Ugh. Ugh. 
I was in. This was an Indiana Jones trip. I was like, yes, let me at it. He's fully suckered me into this. He just lied to me for the mission of God. and to bring, No, he actually wasn't lying. He took me on this trip, and it was even crazier the year I went than it had been the year before. We encountered wild things, voodoo and, and demonic presence, and we saw people suffering. I had a woman give me her baby in the back of a truck while we were delivering food, and she walked away from me in a crowd as I held her little orange-haired infant squalling and crying and she's crying as she walks away and I'm looking at my team leader saying someone just gave me this baby and he's like no no get her back here she wants you to take that child home to the states and she's just relinquished her baby to you because she knows it's going to die I'm 19 my life is all about me at this point I know what God's calling me to but it's out there somewhere But this professor saw something in me and he invited me to be a part of this team. And God rocked my world in Haiti that year. I ended up on a hillside having an argument with God about whether or not I should go back to Biola. I didn't want to leave. All of a sudden, my life mattered. There was something significant going on. And I'm out there having this battle with God about why I should go back to Biola versus just stay here in Haiti and disappear helping these people. As a 19-year-old, I was just rash and just ready to throw it all away and dive in. This is, I, was, I was a lot like the Apostle Peter, actually, as we understand him to be in Scripture. And I'm out there wrestling with God, just rashly ready to make a decision. This 10-year-old-ish little Haitian boy who his only piece of clothing was a red sport coat. Like his only piece of clothing was a red sport coat. He just came up to me and wanted to join me in whatever I was doing. Well, I'm wrestling with God, so I I start to sing a, a worship song. Well, it happens to be a song he knows. And I'm singing the old worship chorus, Majesty, Worship His Majesty. And he starts singing it in Creole with me. And we sit here on this hill. And God rocks my world. And I chose at that point to lean in. And it set my life on a different course. I told you, we wound up in the south of France where I pastored an international English-speaking church. We wound up in Morocco where we were part of a, a subversive kind of Christian school that was not Christian, it was American. And it was a crazy experiment in missions in Morocco. And I'm not sure I would have had those adventures or experienced those things if I wouldn't have been chosen to be part of that team. This is part of what's happening in this story today. Jesus is choosing his team. Choosing kooks like me. Choosing kooks like you to do something big. Let's dive in here together, starting with verse 12. We read from the ESV this morning. I'm going to actually kind of go back and forth and 
Part of my notes this morning are coming out of a, a Bible that I love to teach from. It's my Zodiatus Study Bible. If you don't know what this is, write that down, look it up. That's just a little free tip. This is a great study Bible right here if you want one. Zodiatus, he breaks down things that, that are just so helpful in understanding the, the natural language the Bible was written in. And so I'm going to go back and forth between the version that we looked at this morning and the New American Standard Version here. And verse 12 is the, the first part I want to dive into. And it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. If you're taking notes, I kind of want to jump to a quick little side note before we dive into the the rest of this message. Can I just say for a second that that balance is an idol in the Christian life? Let's just call it balance schmalance. I just want to come up with my own word this morning to just start you out, but balance schmalance. Jesus didn't live a life of balance, in case you're wondering. And we have some weird Christian idols. One of them is safety. Sorry, it's really not in scripture. <laughs> You know, Abraham just decides he wants to do what's safe, end of Bible. Right? I mean, just it's just not there. These are, these are stories of risk. These are stories where God does something big. And another one of these idols that, that people kind of try to push into our lives is balance. And I would say Jesus didn't live a life of balance. He lived a life radically connected to his father. And at times his father called him to rest. And at times his father called him to sacrifice. But what Jesus did constantly throughout the story is he moved in conjunction with what his father was leading him to do. And he did not give us an image of balance. He did give us an image of living a life connected to the father. And in that image we find rest we find Jesus having enough margin in his life to do the things God was calling him to do. But I just want to call it out for a second and say at the beginning of this passage is this image of Jesus doing something kind of radical. He goes out all night long and he prays. And here is the base note in this suspense that is building in this story. Here it is at the beginning of the scene. The boom, boom, boom. This is it. It's beginning to build. Jesus sets the suspense for what's coming because he goes out and takes a night and says, this is super important, what's coming next. And I'm going to give this night in prayer and in connection to my father because the story's starting to build. This thing's starting to pick up some momentum. Have you, have you lived a time in your life where you, you can relate to some of this? You can feel the suspense starting to build? Just this last week, one of the things I try to practice as I think about this life of living intentionally connected to God, I try to do intentional dog walking. (laughs) I I, want to go walk my dog and be connected to Jesus as I do it. Kind of a crazy idea, but I want to go out and be in my community and do something that I think God's calling me to do, as Drew pointed out. God does love round people too. But I'm trying to work on that. So I'm, I'm out trying to, to do something God's calling me to do. And as I do it, I want to do it in step with him and intentionally be connected to him. So part of what God has me doing right now is I'm out walking my dog and going and being in my park. And so I was out this week in my park and I'm walking in. I walk down the street, take about a 10 minute walk, get to my park. I turn left into the entrance of Baldwin Park and it kind of goes up, beautiful trees, grass, but a bunch of homeless guys typically live right here in the corner of this park. So as I come around the corner, I come up 
and first thing I see are two police cars parked right where some of the homeless guys, some of whom I've gotten to know, where they live. So I walk past these guys. I recognize a couple of them, not guys I know by name in this group. And I recognize there's a new guy in here I don't know. The police are kind of doing something special with him. And I, I just choose to keep walking. I walk in a little ways. We're not all supposed to let our dogs loose, but the police don't really mind. So there's a bunch of us that kind of do and keep them pretty well controlled. So I let Mac loose. My little, I, we've got a tree climbing coonhound whip it cross. Imagine she's as fast as a greyhound and she goes straight up trees. I didn't know dogs could do this. But it's really fun, honestly. Take my dog out, and she just goes right up a tree after a squirrel. So I walk into the park, and I let her loose, and we go walking into the park. As I'm walking, I begin to realize one of the cop cars is following me. So now I'm a little uncomfortable. I walk into the park. I turn to the right. The cop car is coming into the park, and he goes over toward the dog park. So now I kind of feel responsible that I should go to the dog park. My dog's off its leash and I need to go inside the park. So I walk over to the dog park and he's now parked where he can see into the park. And I walk in, open the gate. I walk inside. There's about 20 people in there. There's a, a picnic table in the middle. There's people seated around it. Their dogs are running and playing. And I let Mac into the dog park. And I, as soon as I let her go and she starts to run off, I notice on the back side of the dog park, there's a preschool. And coming between the two buildings of the preschool is another police officer with a canine unit. And the canine unit is on high alert. And if you know what a canine unit looks like when it's on high alert, it's pretty obvious. It's just short of a snarl. This dog is just going, you know. And I see him come up to the back fence of our dog park. Okay, now there's a cop behind me. There's a cop here with a canine unit. I stop for a second, and I can just feel the story starting to build. Boom, boom, boom. I'm on alert now. I'm starting to pay attention. Two more police units pull into the exit of the park, and they pull up and put their headlights straight into the park. It's not dark, but they just park their cars right there where they can see in. Two more units come in the entrance of the park, and now there are five cop cars surrounding our dog park and a canine unit on the other side of the fence. And I'm inside the dog park. The suspense is building. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me by this point, you got to be a moron not to pick out the fact something's going on. And I'm in the park, and I see this cop walk by, and as he walks by, he unholsters his gun and puts it in his hand. It's still the tip of it is in the holster, but he goes, click. And I'm all, mm. I just very quietly said to him, should I be getting out of the park right now? He said, absolutely. <laughs> you know... All of us, we're all scrambling. Everybody's grabbing their dogs. We're running to the park. And as we all run out, they all run in. And there's one guy left in the park, and he's sitting at the picnic table. Boom! They're on him. Whoa! We're all outside taking off. As I'm walking away down the park, I'm thinking, you know, this is enough excitement for me today. I'm going home now. And all of a sudden, I hear they, they catch another guy. There's something else going on. They let the canine unit loose. When they let those canine units loose, that's a really scary sound. I mean, that dog was, it sounded like he was eating someone. I was like, I'm going, I'm out of here right now. You know when there's a time in your life where you can just feel it? There's something going on. It's like someone is like narrating your life with a bass guitar. Boom, 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 boom. It's happening around you. You can feel it building. And this is what's happening in this story. And it starts off with Jesus taking a night and going out to pray. Because what he's going to do next is big. 
verse 13 and 14. When day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also named as apostles. I'm gonna stop with 13 there. I said 13 and 14. Let me stop here. Here, Jesus is selecting the team that would engage his mission and carry his message and ultimately build his church. Engage his mission, carry his message and ultimately build his church. And they had no idea. They had no idea. He was drawing these people together and forming his core team. And in verse 13, we see this start to shift. In verse 14 and 16, he begins to move into the building of the names. But before we get there, he uses these two terms that are pretty important. And in your outline, if you're taking notes, there's these two words, disciple and apostle. He called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them who he also named as apostles. These are pretty important words. I put the, I put the Greek up there. For those of you that are, are Greek fiends, you want to go find it. Uh, I have to confess, I'm not one of those, but this Bible allows me to act like I am. So Zodiatus, I get no money for this, by the way. This is just a really good Bible. Um, and he uses this Greek word for disciple. And what it means at its core is this, the learner, one who adheres to teaching accepts the instruction given and makes it his rule of conduct. It's pretty simple. It's not just learning. It's not just taking it in the head. This concept for disciple is one who learns and applies. Makes it his rule of conduct means they submit to what the learning has taught them. So these were his disciples. These were people who had chosen to take what Jesus was saying and apply it to their lives in the way that they were trying to figure out how to live and how to follow God. This is what was going on. And this group of people that were following him were his disciples. They were the ones who were learning from him and applying it to their lives. And he was from that group selecting those who were gonna be apostles. Again, the Greek word for Apostles, I've got it up there for you, but the, the key point of the definition is this. One who is sent forth an ambassador with special authority to be his witness. Jesus took this seldom used word and he built out some definition to it and he was naming these followers of his who wanted to do what he asked them to do And he was now giving them this special mission and sending them out. And out of the big group, he names 12 of them. One who has sent forth an ambassador with special authority to be his witness. I've entitled my talk this morning, The Original A-Team. A-Team, anybody out there? I'm counting on Nick at night to have brought some of you up to speed, right? The A-team. Who were the original members of the A-team? Anyone? Somebody put their hand up. I hear multiple names. Mr. T. I pity the fool. Very good. Somebody else. Who's another member of the A-team? Put your hand up. I can't see. I can't hear it. George Papard, who played what character? Do you remember? 
Good job, man. Look out right here. Anyone else? Any other remember the names of the members of the A-team? We've got Hannibal. We've got B.A. Baracus was his name, Mr. T. There's more. Murdoch, who, is it Murdoch who was also, his nickname was Face. Who said it? Face was a different guy? Who's the other? Man, you're this guy. I actually know what I'm teaching, and he actually knows more. Now, here's the big, here's the money question. Murdoch is another guy, and there was also Face, okay? Here's the money question. Do you know the female? Does anyone know the female? What's interesting was these guys were later found out to be a super sexist shoot, like really kind of crazy sexist. So it's really not surprising that the female was not really featured. This was this whole group of guys was pretty much like, we're it. And it's kind of interesting to learn. But I don't want to ruin your image of the A-team or anything. Because um, I know they're super important to you all. Um, Let's just, let's just take a minute, uh, and at least for you, I know this is going to be a reward. We're going to kill the lights, and I've got a, a little uh, little reward for you. Here we go. Ten years ago, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. There it is. Did you catch it? They were a group of, they were convicts, yeah, they were on the run. But did you hear the phrase they use? A group of highly trained mercenaries. This A-team was absolutely nothing like the original A-team. This apostle team that was being formed, this was really something different. Jesus was setting a really important tone here in the way he selected his, his team. Well, who are some big employers here in this region close by, either that you commute to or are, are really local? Who are some of the bigger employers? Intel, Intel. HP, Aerospace, State, Government. 
County. Anybody else? Blue Shield. That's a big employer locally, Blue Shield. Car dealerships. You know what? Every single job that you're giving right now, if Jesus was setting up his team here today, these would be the people who were on it. It's so interesting to look at this list. Two sets of brothers and one of his own cousins. One hardcore zealot. One tax collector and one traitor. And several about whom we know almost nothing. Most likely fishermen from the Capernaum region. Little place up in Galilee that people didn't know or care really that much about. They were the locals. They were the normal people. They were the ones who lived in the area while Jesus was forming this team. They were the employees of Intel. They were working at Blue Shield and going to Sacramento because they worked with the government. This was the normal crew of people that lived in the area. This was no A-team. This was no highly trained group of mercenaries. These were normal people who wanted to follow Jesus. In fact, these people were so normal, it's interesting to note, at the end of the story, as Jesus is going to the cross, we know where two of them were, right? Who are the two that we know about at the end of that story? As Jesus is heading to the cross, the story is building to its, its final climax, and who do we know about at that point? We know where Peter was, we know where Peter was, and we know where Judas was. You know what's interesting? None of the rest of them were there. We only talk about Judas betraying him and Peter denying him. But at his death, at this point in the story that is this major climax, none of them are actually there. They weren't sure yet. When did they actually become followers of Jesus, like actually become Christians? Most likely it happened in Acts chapter 2. when the Holy Spirit came on them and they were in that room and they were finally completely at a place where they were convinced that everything they'd heard about him up to this point, it actually was true. Now they've seen him alive and now they're waiting before they go out into the world to do this message that he's, he's given them, this ministry, this mission. They're gathered together and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come there in Acts chapter two. And apparently by then, they were all convinced. These weren't superstars. These were us, normal people who want to follow Jesus. And they were trying to figure it out. It's fascinating to me that this is who he selected and who he made his sent ones. I moved back from overseas and I moved on to a street where we'd been praying about where God was going to put us. Praying about our landlord and our neighbors and, and we landed on this street and in my mind we were short term in this particular place because we were going to look to buy a house and we were going to figure out some place that God, you know, it was going to really plant us. We were just going to rent this house for a little while. Five years later, we're in the same place because I moved on to a street of people like this, this these normal people. They wouldn't have been my A-team to plant a church with, to create a community with. 
I've got a retired iron worker. I've got a, a, an artist and a, married to a tax lady live across the street raising their last kid as he's getting ready to go. We've got our, our Eastern European couple that do um, crazy motorcycle repairs out of the street late at night and all this. There's just, this is just my street. This is exactly where God wanted me to be. And he planted me right here with these normal people where he's engaging something in their lives and I'm getting to be a part of it. Momentum is building here. I'm gonna go back to, uh, to verse 14 and read through again. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he descended with them and stood on a level place. And there was a great multitude of his disciples and a throng of people, a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. It's building. Luke uses this word throng Almost like now, along with the bass drums comes in the, I mean, along with the bass notes come the drums. This throng of people. This isn't just a crowd or a group. This is a big, massive movement that's happening. And it's building. And Jesus has now selected his core team, his A team, the team of his apostles. And now he's moving down and he's going to start to move into this new phase of ministry. And these last two verses are really something else. This crowd had come near to him to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the multitude were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. It's like Jesus is this becoming this human Tesla coil for God's power. And it starts with this night he spends alone with the Father. It moves into the selection of his core team. And now as he's moving down and getting ready, there's something big that's starting to happen here. His ministry is going from the behind the scenes into the major public. This thing is really starting to to bubble. And power is coming out of him like a Tesla coil. And it says passively, people were being healed. It wasn't even like Jesus was stopping and saying, this is going to happen right now. The power that was bubbling out of him was just healing them. This is, this is big. Exciting stuff is happening here in this story. The momentum is, is in full, full account here. And I just cannot help but see the similarities to what is going on here right now. Part of why I'm so excited to be here that I got to teach this passage today. I don't think it's any mistake that this is where you are in your Luke study right now. Are you a disciple? My guess is most of you are. Normal people who want to follow Jesus. You want to learn and you want to figure out how to apply it. That's why you're here. I haven't gotten a chance to hear Drew, but I'm just guessing. He doesn't pull very many punches. You're not going to stick around here if you're not really trying to figure out what it looks like to apply God's word to your life. 
So it's exciting for me to speak to a group of mostly people who are trying to figure out what this looks like. You're not perfect. You're not superstars. That's awesome because that's who Jesus apparently sees as the ones he wants to empower to take his message into some new phase of ministry. And so it's exciting for me to stand here and and say, are you one of the sent ones? I'm guessing you are. You want to be people who are embracing this idea of what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus and to take his message into your own life first and then onto the street where you live, onto the normal people that you work with, people like you, people like me. Who have you been sent to? I just want to close with this, and I'm going to invite Drew and Jen to come up. You are the team of sent ones, wonderfully normal, that God has selected to be a part of vintage grace as you shift into another gear. As I embraced my wild Haiti adventure, I pray that you will do the same and that your lives will never be the same.